Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched The Seven Year Itch. When his family goes away for the summer, a hitherto faithful husband with an overactive imagination is tempted by a beautiful neighbor. This is like like a super classic film. I definitely, I've never seen this before. It, it has its fair share of iconic moments, sure. despite the fact that. I don't think it's as high profile as some other things, and uh, this one doesn't hold up very well. Okay, so, like, it's very misogynistic. Like, the whole premise is very misogynistic. But there's an overarching story here that I feel like they could redo today, and it would completely play. The premise itself is not that bad, because it's of that period. This was something that did really happen in New York. The wives would take the kids off to the island for the summer, mm-hmm. and the dudes would stick around and work. That was that was a byproduct of the fifties. Oh, sure. Like we saw this shit in like Mad Men all the goddamn time. Like this is great. Like that's part of what makes like this movie kind of fun because it's more of a cheeky take on like what people actually did. This was a play before it was ever a movie. Mm-hmm. This works better as a play than a movie. I can see that. I mean, I think they probably could have done a few things to make the movie. A little bit more like a play. I would love to see the play, though. Yeah. By all accounts, the play is a lot steamier, raunchier, perhaps. Okay. Because they're dealing with crappy censorship attitudes in 1955. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell that there's so many moments in this movie where they want to go ten times further. Mm-hmm. And they just don't. Like, you feel it, right? It's particularly with, like, the fantasy scenes with Marilyn Monroe. But I actually think showing more restraint in those does the story well. Because I think I think if you just go, like, super body and, like, raunchy with it, it just becomes, this guy is just fucking horny. <laughs> like, like, that's what it becomes. Instead, it becomes more about, like, how he's, like, fantasizing about all these different types of scenarios. And... It's just, it's not so much like hot neighbor, I'm horny. It's a little more about like, I'm bored. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm bored and I'm just fantasizing about all these different possibilities. It's about possibility. It's not that he actually wants to do this. And it could be that he wants to do this, but he knows he can't go through with it because that would be bad. But it's just like, I'm bored. That's ultimately what's going on. He is bored. I don't know. I, I think that's nice talk, but I don't feel like this movie in any way accomplishes any of that. I think it does a little bit because there is the whole like, yeah, I see it what other men do when they're wisely like they're out doing stuff that they shouldn't do. And I'm just not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Not going to do it. But then he starts getting really insecure about what his wife's doing. And then that gets into his quote unquote fantasy about like, man she's hanging out with this guy and this guy's gonna end up being a better father to my child and it just gets a little ridiculous i think the the amount of time should have been elongated and i think that would have played off better because i feel like what we should see is like a a week of him just like yeah i'm just doing my thing i'm not smoking i'm only having my one drink after work you know, I'm not I'm I'm going to eat better. I'm going to go to this restaurant. And then like as the summer goes on, he's like we really do get the sense that he's bored. He's bored of doing the same thing every night because his family's not there to like make it different. And he doesn't have anybody to hang out with because they're off doing things that he doesn't want to be involved in. Or maybe there are people who are too young. So it's like I'm the old guy in the crowd. Like like we should get that sense that he's isolated. And then the neighbor shows up and it's like, well, what's going on here? What what is this? What's happening? Oh, oh, well, this could happen or this could happen. That would probably serve the story better. But I like the I like the idea. I like the story. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> this is the weird case where we're gonna agree to disagree with about the movie that I brought to make you watch. Yeah. This does not change the fact that it's incredibly funny. It is very funny. The bits are great. Oh, yeah. It's just that in between, for me, it feels like there's nothing. It feels like the in between of the bits, there's so much tension mm-hmm. and that tension never gets addressed. And primarily, it doesn't get addressed through the dialogue between the two. 
the caveat here is when you do a play like this, what you want is in between for something for a real deep connection to really grow. And I don't feel like this movie has any time or place for it. Well, when when this is a play, it becomes all about the business. The the business this is probably like one or two locations in the play. Um, here we have just a little bit more, and that's fine. But I feel like again in that more elongated time frame, we could get some of that business. And I think they did too much. Like everything is a bit instead of this is the story. The play has all of the fantasy sequences. Sure. No, that's fine. But I feel like only the fantasy sequences should be treated as bits and everything else should be the story. Yes. I want more apartment within this little fantasy comedy that we have here. Okay. I want the in-between to be that sort of two people who are trying to find themselves in different ways actually figuring out that they have some similarities. And they flirt with it. But they don't ever really do it very well. They they don't. They don't they don't do the flirtation. I think I think there's a part of this for us that we are too aware of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, I mean, be, being in 2022, <laughs> I think we are too aware of Marilyn Monroe and not not that you wouldn't be aware of her when this film came out, but I do think that changes the context of that character. Yes and no though. Like I, I she's actually one of the people in this movie I have the least amount of complaints about. Because I think she's great. Oh, I think she does a great job, too. I think what they should have done with them is, well, I, f- I feel like we should have had more fantasy, honestly. Uh, but it should have been more of a little bit of a blurring of what he fantasizes could happen, what does happen. And then we see him fantasizing about what could have come next and then what does. like. So we kind of go back and forth between reality and his fantasizing or how he's replaying things in his mind, I feel like that would have been a better of like, this is just what he does. And we should have seen him do that with like his secretary, we should, which we do see once, but it should have, we also should have seen him do it with his family before. So we, and we should have seen him do it at the restaurant because then we get more, a better sense of like, this is just what he does. This is how he lives his life. <laughs> this, this movie's not bad. It's just a mess. Yes. It's really messy. And primarily, in a place that we have have honestly criticized Billy, to me, it's in the writing. So let's let's maybe dive in. First of all, the budget for this movie mm-hmm. uh, was one million eight hundred thousand dollars. That's the equivalent of nineteen million nine hundred thousand dollars today. Okay, which is not bad for a romantic comedy. A lot of set pieces. Yeah. Whole lot of set pieces going sure. on here. The box office was twelve million dollars. Made $132 million in today's money. It did very, very well. And that's not unsurprising. The original play was a massive success because this was a play beforehand. It's referenced in Sabrina as the play they're going to go see. Yeah, it is. It opened in November 1952, ran for 1,141 performances. Oh, wow. That's yeah, very it cool. ran for a long, long time. That's awesome. Let's talk about our writing. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have Billy. Sure. His cohort in this script, because he always collaborates on his screenplays, is George Axelrod, who wrote the original play. Okay. Before this, he wrote some novels and plays that weren't of any huge note. But after this, he wrote the screenplay for Bus Stop. He wrote the play that Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter is based on, which is a much more fun version of this wacky 50s commentary okay then breakfast at tiffany's the manchurian candidate from 1962 a remake of the lady vanishes in 1979 and the fourth protocol and then of course we ask what do we think of the script again i think it's just kind of a hot mess it has all the plot Mm -hmm. and the plot's great and the beats are great and the jokes are incredibly funny but they don't it doesn't have the right amount of movie filler in the story. And it's so simple because it, it really is just these two scenes with these two characters where the girl is much more deep. I mean, she's she's given a lot of depth and agency in this film mm-hmm. when she's not in a fantasy sequence, obviously. Yeah. And she's not just an airhead, which many movies would make Marilyn Monroe to be. Oh, sure. Well, that's I mean, she's she's a dumb blonde a lot. But she's not in this movie. She's no. just I'm just from out of town hanging out and around the big city. 
Mm-hmm. I imagine a pretty... You and your imagination. You think every girl's a dope. You think a girl goes to a party and there's some guy, a great big lunk in a fancy striped vest, strutting around like a tiger, giving you that, I'm so handsome you can't resist me look. And from this she's supposed to fall flat on her face. Well, she doesn't fall on her face. But there's another guy in the room, way over in the corner. Maybe he's kind of nervous and shy and perspiring a little. First you look past him, but then you sort of sense that he's gentle and kind and worried, and that he'll be tender with you, nice and sweet. That's what's really exciting. And finding this guy who's really nice and kind and sweet and not like any of the other guys. There's not enough of the openness and vulnerability from these two characters mm-hmm. that I, I that's what I really am missing here. I need lots more of them opening up to each other, probably mm-hmm. in the second act of the movie. Like I'm fine if the whole first act is the sort of fumbling around and in the middle of the fantasy. And then the next time when she's just like, can you let me have a place to sleep so I can avoid the air conditioner problem? Yeah. There's much more open vulnerability. Because again, I think, well, the acting involved tries to show it, Mm -hmm. but this is a movie, not a play. Or if it starts out as like, yeah, I'm just going to have a a good time flirting with this lady. And then he realizes that his fantasies are going too far. His imagination is going too far. And then it becomes this pickle of like, I've created a friendship with this person, but I've also created an inappropriate fantasy life with this person. So now that's my conflict is that I need to figure out what my boundaries are with this person so that I don't continue with this fantasy life, which which could have also been played so well for comedy. Yeah. And the, the flip side of that, too, being you could so easily remake this today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In a way that respects the agency of everybody involved. Oh, sure. And plays on more of these feelings of distance and relationships in a context where we have a whole lot of different types of relationships. Sure. Um, Where platonic relationships between men and women is not something that's feared in society. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, something that's healthy and normal. But also, you would if you updated this, you would also have several people who are going through a similar thing, and they're each approaching it in a different way to varying degrees of success. You know, it's interesting with the trivia, too, of hearing about it, but I I just don't think, in terms of writing, anybody ever felt comfortable with the final script that they had. It it feels like a still-in-progress draft. Mm -hmm. And it's executed really well. Because it's Billy fucking Wilder. Yeah. But the script doesn't have enough character development for me to really care in between the jokes. And it leaves yeah. a little bit empty at the end. Because to me, what I would want at the end of this movie is these two realize what would be just earth shattering in 1955 is to have some guy realize, I just want to be friends with this woman. It's like, we're best buds. Mm-hmm. And to have that happen in a movie with the biggest sex symbol in Hollywood at the time would be incredibly groundbreaking from a story perspective. I mean, today, that would be a great thing if someone's like, I just, I'm so horny for them. I'm just so horny for them. Wait, I just want to be friends with this person. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I could be perfectly happy with them in my life as my friend. They do not also need to be somebody I'm having sex with. It was like the reverse of the romantic economy. It's like, I turned around and my best friend is the person I'm in love with. And it's like, this person I've been trying to fuck for months is my best friend. I don't need to have sex with them. And that's what everything in this movie feels like it's leading to. Nah, I wouldn't say that. But I, I do. I feel like, especially later on as they get into it, you feel like both of these writers are sitting there like, well... How are we supposed to like resolve all of this? It's like, it's very simple. You have them both realize that they really like each other as just people in a platonic friendship relationship. Well, okay. So I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the way you fix this is, aside, aside from the other things I said, but part of the way he 
acknowledges that that's just not going to be a facet of their relationship is that he introduces her to someone who he genuinely believes would be a good person for her to date. Not like just somebody to distract her or, yeah. but like someone he generally is like this, like this person that I work with, or this person who is, who is like my friend's cousin, I've met him. He has like, he's got a great job. He's a nice person. Tom he's, McKenzie. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been a great way to like bring it around. What a perfect way to end it. Or even yeah. hell, Mr. Krahulik. That could have been funny. Eh, no, because he said too many like bad things about him. I, I, <laughs> but still like. But like that could have been a good way. Yeah, but there's ways to resolve this in a smart, intelligent way that really like explodes the whole romantic comedy trope. And they just they didn't see it. Yeah, but that was never going to happen. And uh, no, absolutely year not. This was made. <laughs> yeah. And as we talk about the trivia, you, you will sense the frustration in in Wilder for not being able to find it. Fair. He's never loved this movie. In fact, this is probably the movie he's talked about disliking the most. Mm. He called it, quote, a nothing picture because the picture should be done today without censorship. Unless the husband left alone in New York while the wife and kid are away for the summer has an affair with that girl, there's nothing. But you couldn't do that in those days, so I was just straightjacketed. It just didn't come off one bit, and there's nothing I can say about it except I wish I hadn't made it. I wish I had the property now. Mm. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> Again, we're sitting here with this advent, and it's like, in 1955, society was not prepared to tell that story. No. That's why we have Mad Men. Exactly. <laughs> the Hayes Code specifically prevented most of the racier dialogue from the play from being used. The play mm. is much more suggestive, much racier, much more grown up. Okay. And that. they had to completely fabricate all of the romance between Sherman and the girl. Mm. Because from what I can tell in the play, there is an actual affair. Oh, okay. All right. Which well, that's, that's fine too. Hollywood would not allow. <laughs> so that's so weird. So I again, you sense that frustration from mm -hmm. Billy specifically of like, I can't hack the story. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no way. And I think at the end of the day, it's just he had all the plot points, but he didn't understand how to tie it all together. Mm. More fun stuff. When Axelrod brought his play script to the first meeting with Billy Wilder, Axelrod suggested they could use it as a guide for the screenplay. Wilder replied, fine, we'll use it as a doorstop. <clears throat> I love him. That's kind of an asshole thing to say. It's a Billy thing to say, though. Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, I get, like Billy's an asshole when it comes to writing, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I know that, but it's just like, fuck you, Billy. <laughs> per Axelrod, the reason the girl has no name is because he and Wilder could not think of one. I love that. So they just left it as the girl. I mean, like, I think that's I think that's actually a great choice. And I think that also actually leads to you could almost almost think of this like the, our, my favorite Ferris Bueller's that the girl doesn't actually exist. <laughs> could, like without giving her name you could almost take because of how crazy his fantasy life is you could almost posit that she didn't exist they of course kept the pitch perfect line from the play you will sing sarcastically and i've got marilyn monroe in the kitchen because they had to <laughs> you you i mean that's a solid gold joke when you have marilyn monroe in a kitchen you need to have the joke in there in one of Richard's fantasies, Helen shoots him for messing around with a girl, stating she'd get away with it because of, quote, the unwritten law. This was, at the time, a legal fallacy that defense of marriage was justification for murder. Okay. It's not. Okay. But that idea was central to the plot of another film that one of our stars, Tom Ewell, starred in, Adam's Rib. Oh, okay. This is one of many in-references that this movie makes. The music, Rachmaninoff's Concerto No. 2, was the backdrop for Brief Encounter, a film about an extramarital affair that begins and ends in a train station. Mm, okay. These are all very famous movies, I might add. Okay. And finally, The Moonlight Swim is, of course, a send-up of the beach kiss in From Here to Eternity. Oh, yeah. With a touch of dark humor at the end as he walks into the sea, just like in A Star is Born. I love it. I do. <laughs> I genuinely love it. Billy made so many, like, there's like airplane level jokes in this movie. Oh, yeah. And they're very good. They are. I'm here for them. Now let's talk about directing. And we, of course, have Billy Wilder. What can we say? 
if, even if the man doesn't have a perfect script, my God, he flawlessly executes what he's got in front of him. Yep. I mean, I have no complaints. Nothing about the way he directed this movie didn't make it better. Agreed. Uh, you know, between the way he cuts into the, the fantasy sequences and purposely stages him, those visual gags that he throws in. I mean, the guy's amazing at physical comedy. And also, specifically in this movie, because you've got two actors for a good chunk of the time that are just the only people on screen, mm -hmm. he knows precisely how to film both of his stars in different ways mm -hmm. to get the maximum impact. Because both of his actors are doing a very good job, but they're very different actors. Yes. And he makes them work together, mm -hmm. which Marilyn Monroe is a is such a presence on screen. Even then, you know, we have the mythology now, but even then before the mythology is such what it is, mm -hmm. she's such a screen presence, regardless of how well she's doing in the role, that it requires a real specific touch to make other actors work alongside her. Billy mastered it. Oh, yeah. Because again, he's just that fucking good not to mention he's not working in his preferred medium he doesn't like color oh yeah is this right after the apartment and then it's in beautiful color it is the way everything's designed is just gorgeous and you're like wow i mean i get why he liked black and white that was like just the style the way he liked to do things but holy shit it's so pretty I know, but like, okay, so that's, I guess that's my question. Since the apartment comes after this and that one's black and white, why is this one in color? He doesn't like doing color. Well, his star's contract required shooting in color. Mm. Marilyn Monroe always thought she looked more attractive in full color instead of black and white. And so alongside her agents, they always made sure she was shot in color when possible. Okay, that's cool. He has to work outside of that. Again, I, it's not his favorite movie, right? Fair. But I have zero complaints about him as a director but as, up to this point, for sure. No. I've got nothing bad to say about it. No. Other than you're an asshole when you're writing. <laughs> yeah, I know. What director could have been better? Ooh, okay. George Cukor, who directed The Philadelphia Story, Gaslight, and My Fair Lady, was originally approached to direct this film. Okay. I kind of get that. It's a comedy it is. It's a it's a comedy, and Kukor is like just the generation ahead of Billy. Yeah, which is weird because like generations in Hollywood ran like every five years. Sure. But he was he was the class just ahead of Billy, and like one of those other tier directors. Great director. He turned it down. Billy, who was finally free from Paramount, because this is not a Paramount film. Yeah, this is Fox. Twentieth Century Fox. Fox. He took the job. Mm. And that leads us to our cast. And we start with a woman we have never talked about before, but we're going to talk about at least two times. It's Marilyn Monroe as the girl. Before this, Marilyn was in The Asphalt Jungle, The Fireball, All About Eve, Monkey Business, Niagara, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, How to Marry a Millionaire, and There's No Business Like Show Business. Mm -hmm. After this, she was in Bus Stop, Some Like It Hot, and The Misfits. Before, of course, she tragically passed away. What do we think of Marilyn in this movie? She's like the icing on the cake. She really is. Mm -hmm. Like, you could put any gorgeous woman here. You really could. Like, you could, you could, I'm sure the who could have been better are interesting. But there's such an innocence with her and the way she plays it, particularly with using that voice, that just adds a lightness to what's happening. It, like watching it in the year 2022 kind of like uh, well she's gonna get so taken advantage of she doesn't no but um it, it's really all about the fantasy but it's just like well yeah she's a gorgeous woman this man's gonna fantasize about her but ultimately like i don't get a sense that she is not in charge of what she herself is doing in this film she's just oblivious to this man's fantasy life and i i just like that she Plays or not as a dumb blonde, just as a light person. The innocence is key for me, for sure. Sure, yeah. Because it's not, it, it's not airheaded. And no. they didn't do that that often. I mean, I, I will be clear. She was not in that many movies. She really wasn't. No. She was so much more of a model and then an icon in so many ways. Mm -hmm. 
more than she ever was an actress. But especially in this movie, and we, of course, will be seeing her again later in the series. Mm -hmm. It's not the blonde with a capital B that she's playing. Mm -hmm. It's just the she's innocent without being too naive. because She's lived in the city forever. And she's also kind of game. Yeah, no, no. Like, she's like, I mean, if it happens, it happens. She's willing to be flirty if he's being flirty back. Sure. Because she likes this guy. Yeah. She's having a good time with him. He's being nice to her. He's not, you know, he's not like outwardly trying to take advantage of her as a person. So she's like trusting him. So, you know, yeah. Like, and and it's very easy to look at this and go, well, she's just an idiot. It's like, no, what we are seeing on the screen is his brain. His actual actions when he's not in fantasy land are totally fine. A little weird, a little anxious. But fine for the most The way part. he freaks out after he makes the move on her. Yeah. And he's just, he's he's like, I'm done. I'm I'm done. I've ruined everything. And she's like, it's really okay. I get it. <laughs> Which, like, that's the part where it's like, in 2022, that becomes, a, well, I'm glad you recognize that that was inappropriate. And that will never happen again if you ever want to speak to me again. Yes, absolutely. There- like, that becomes a much different scene. But at the same time, it's like, he instantly recognizes his wrongdoing and she diffuses the situation and to me the biggest thing with that is yes time and place but also she's got the power in that moment yes which is not normal for the 50s correct correct and i think i think that's the one thing i will give credit to this script and the direction and the way it's acted and all that is that again i don't ever feel like she the girl is not in control of herself yeah. or or the situation. Like, there's still this dude who's hot to trot, but she is still very much in control of what's happening. Billy knows how to write women. Get me? Yes, yes, he does. He, he's, he writes women very, very well. He writes women as complex humans. <laughs> uh, the, I, the bar was low. <laughs> like, the bar is very low, but, I mean, the apartment proves that, like, oh, women are way more complicated. Mm-hmm. This feels like a test run for the apartment in some ways. It, I was. T- that's why I was like, did this did the apartment come first or after this? Because I feel like yeah. the apartment just builds on so much of this. Because it's partly there's so much of that dynamic yeah. in the apartment and a, and a power dynamic in that way, like layered power dynamics happening. Yes, uh, so many. Those, the, with those two people, and then then you add that many more with the additional people around them. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, she's fabulous and. I I would have loved I would have loved to see her I I wish we could have seen her perform as an older woman to see yeah. how she would have aged in Hollywood because I feel like a lot of people are like oh she would just been this aging starlet like you know Betty Davis um, or Joan Crawford and but I feel like she would have been more of the Catherine Hepburn it's like fuck you people I'm the shit <laughs> I'm gonna age into my personality I Catherine Hepburn wasn't like that Catherine Hepburn was just she was broad. She, Catherine Hepburn did her job and went home. That's what Catherine Hepburn did. No, I I know, but there there is a broadiness to Catherine Hepburn. I think Marilyn would have retired quickly. And we'll talk about why. No, like I, I get all of that, but I think it would have been interesting to see her with a career in Hollywood as, you know, a, a, a late 50s, early 60s woman would have been really interesting. Well, Monroe had wanted to work with Billy Wilder for some time. Okay. She liked Billy's stuff. She liked... I assume she also probably liked the way that he had created some really interesting female characters. Sure. Fox forced her to agree to there's no business like show business before she was allowed to take this role. Okay. But Wilder had always had Monroe in mind for the role. Really? Okay. First choice. Nobody else. No, first and only. Okay. Mm-hmm. Love that. I do love that. However, Monroe's depression, mm-hmm. which was a common theme throughout her acting career. Mm-hmm. Reared its ugly head during this. She frequently botched scenes and forgot lines. She required up to 40 takes to get a satisfactory result at times. Mm. And her lateness and issues were a significant factor in the budget jumping out of control. Mm. Yeah. And that is a common theme throughout her career. (laughs) Yeah. She had struggles, which is also where I go. If she had made it through, she would have left Hollywood and just fucked off. Because Hollywood was a disaster for her. No, I don't think so. I think if she had finally met a person 
who truly loved and supported her as a human being and not an object, that would have drastically changed her personal self-confidence because it was, I mean, based on what we know and what we've like, what we've learned about her is that like, that was a huge problem. She had very little self-confidence. The men in her life were awful. I feel like if she had found a, that person, even if it wasn't a romantic partner, but like a good solid set of friends who truly looked out for her as a person, not a product, she could have become even bigger. I, I don't think she would have left because this was how she made her money. This was, and this was her craft. She wanted to be amazing at acting. You know, it's, it's kind of like when we see, like she was a model. Yes. But like we also, when we see like the pro wrestlers who come into acting, they're like, I want to be good at this. Like, I don't, I'm not just doing this for cash. That's great. I want to be good. That was, that was, that's her, that was her attitude towards us. So I think if she had had that actual support, and, you know, like legit help with her mental health struggles, she could have like she could have been so much bigger. That leads us into <laughs> probably the worst ever mistake Billy Wilder made. Uh Oh, Billy on the shit list now. It's not good. Oh, did he? He did a bad. Mm-hmm. This is related to the infamous dress shot. OK. On September 15th, 1954, at one o'clock in the morning, they shot the scene at 52nd Street with nearly 5,000 onlookers. The crowd whistled and cheered through take after take when Monroe, who, of course, had issues with her lines, continued to flub. Yeah, I'm sure the giant crowds of people watching her skirt fly up didn't help. Bill Coburn, Fox's East Coast correspondent, told reporters in 2006 that it was Billy Wilder's idea to create a media circus for this sequence, even setting up bleachers so that people could sit and watch. Okay, now, the scene in question, yeah, uh, not great. However, marketing genius. Well, the photo, the scene in question, we do not see the skirt. Yeah, the famous, the famous photo is not in the film. I know that. I knew that going into this. But that is where they got the photo was from this 52nd Street filming sequence. Sure, yeah. Now, after all of this, Mm -hmm. Joe DiMaggio, whom she was married to at the time, Mm -hmm. was enraged. And reportedly the next day, Monroe needed makeup to cover bruises from the fight. Three weeks later, they filed for divorce after only nine months of marriage. Men are the worst. Adding to all of this is the fact that the crowd noise prevented any of that footage from that 52nd Street shoot from being used. They instead had to refilm it on a set to get a more satisfactory sequence, Hmm. despite needing another 40 takes from Marilyn Monroe to get the shot right. Yeah, at that point, it's like this, this alone has cost me my marriage and so much more. So so she's got, she's being re-traumatized. Great. And Billy's a big part of it. He, yeah, no, I understand like, oh. Hottest woman in Hollywood. We're going to do a sexy scene on the street. This is a marketing, like, I mean, and truly it is, that is marketing genius. It's truly like you have to like the dude and the dude's great at that. He really knows how to sell his shit. Yes. Again, Marilyn had good people around her. Like maybe it wouldn't have been as traumatic and it, it would have been fine, but it wasn't because men are the worst. And I, and I got to say this, despite all of this, yeah. And despite future trivia that's coming, mm-hmm. from what I can tell, it might have been tempestuous, but Marilyn really loved Billy. And I think Billy really respected Marilyn. It's just they had this, again, she was a product more than she was a person to almost she was, everyone. Exactly. Even to Billy. <laughs> sure. Well, I I don't think that's necessarily true. I think whoever the starlet was, they were he was going to do that with. That's fair. Even if it was a brand new hot chick, let's light it up. Like, like y'all don't know how hot this lady is. We're going to film the sexy moment and I'm selling tickets to the show. Yep. He would have done the exact same fucking thing. It had nothing to do with Marilyn, had to do with the scene and selling his movie. So I don't think he looked at her as only a product, but she is a part of the product I'm selling. Hence the movie. That's being very generous. He could have treated her like shit. But he also saw that she had talent 
Because if she didn't, he would never have hired her, no matter how famous she was. Absolutely. So I, he did a bad. It cost her dearly. That's not cool. I hope he regrets the part he played in that. Don't treat people like objects because they're not. Yeah, that's that's disappointing. I'm disappointed, Billy. Now, with all of this, mm-hmm. one of our Arpons, who I am not naming because I want it to be a surprise later, okay, said about Marilyn Monroe, quote, we talked at great length. She was such a sad lady. She was just getting to the stage where she was frightened about losing her looks. It was an all-consuming fear, unquote. Mm-hmm. And again, Marilyn knew better than anybody why she was why she was she there. was riding a wave that she didn't know if it was going to last. Sure, which is partly why her approach to it was like, I want to be good at this. Yes. And nobody around her cared about her being good at it. They just wanted her to be hot. And even despite all of this, despite all of this, and I do think Billy thought she actually had the talent. Yes. Because, no, agreed. Again, he would have never hired her if yeah. he thought she didn't have the acting chops to pull off this. And this was the movie that made her an actual screen icon. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes happened, yes. And that yeah. was a big deal. Sure. But this cemented her and made her a full-on movie star. Mm-hmm. This was the movie. So, again, all of this happening... <laughs> And she struggled, the, the line stuff I have here, she struggled with her entire career. Mm-hmm. But she's really good in the movie. Yeah, she's fabulous. And I think a lot of that has to do with, and I think there would have been an ongoing relationship between those two, because I feel like he understood what her talents were mm-hmm. and how to get the most from her. Sure. And she, despite all of those issues, felt comfortable enough around Billy to give a a, a really awesome performance well he probably working with him was an education for her so yeah. that she could continue to grow as an actress i mean we hear that all the time even today is like i want to work with that person because i want to grow as as a performer and that will be a, because of the way we've heard that person works that will be an experience yeah even if it's a bad experience i learned a lot on that film i will never work with that person again but i learned a lot and we'll talk about i mean we're not giving anything away here. She's in some like it hot. Yep. He cast her again. Yep. Again, he would he wouldn't have done that if he did not think she was talented. Nope. He wasn't just being nice to some lady. It's it is frustrating how it all had to come together, but the end product, she's really really good. She is. Yeah. Next we have Tom Ewell as Richard Sherman. <laughs> he is a stage comedic actor extraordinaire. He is reprising his starring role from the Broadway play. Okay, cool. So he played Sherman on stage, which, of course, you need a plain-faced everyman. Yeah. Just get the guy who did it. <laughs> I mean, he is Especially a clown. for this movie. Before this, he was in Adam's Rib, Finders Keepers, and Lost in Alaska. After this, The Lieutenant Wore Skirts, The Great American Pastime, The Girl Can't Help It, Tender is the Night, State Fair, Suppose They Give a War and Nobody Came, Great Gatsby from 1974, and Beretta on television. He also won the Tony for Best Actor in a Drama for the Play. Okay, cool. So. Like it. What do we think of Tom Ewell in this movie? He's fabulous. Oh, so funny. He's so, I mean, for a lot of the movie, it's just him doing something with the voiceover. And it is very entertaining. He has the most magical way of keeping a perfectly straight face while making you giggle at him. And it it plays down the wackiness some mm-hmm. for him. Yes. Like you could have a guy just kind of jump and be wild and weird all sure. over the place. But he feels like a middle class guy mm-hmm. who only really gets weirded out and worried when he thinks everything's going to go to hell. I remember who he reminded me of watching this and he, I can't remember what it was he did. I was like, that's Jim Carrey. He's the exact same quality, exact same quality. He can make a completely straight face and make you giggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like almost that like rubber band face and just like, and it, it's not to say there's not dramatic chops in there too, but it's, it's the same quality and I'll say uh, Jim Carrey's a little more elastic. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's just a clown. A clown of middle-aged suburban New York. Sure, yeah, but like, I mean, it's the same thing with Bill Irwin. He's a he is a legit clown. It's the same. It's the same um, quality. Yeah, I I would honestly say he reminds me of Irwin even more. Mm-hmm. Of that ability to have a stone face and then sure. the whole body is just 
flailing all over the place. Sure. Um, Bill Bill Irwin has done more dramatic work. Um, Oh, yes, absolutely. And Yule did a ton of stage stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, his movies were not his biggest claim to fame. But, you know, this is his role. This is, he owns it. He owns Richard Sherman. Like, you see him on screen, and it's like, oh, you're this guy. There's no acting going on here. Mm -hmm. You just are this character right now. Despite all his hard work for, I mean, we're talking nearly three years if we're doing a thousand plus performances, mm-hmm. he never expected to get this role. Fair. I mean, at this point, I mean, you had to be this good to do the movie adaptation. He he never expected it so much that, quote, I had already taken a house on Martha's Vineyard for a vacation. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm happy they did choose me, unquote. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's right. like, well, I'm done with that. Wait, what? You want me to start the movie? <laughs> yes, I can do this. I will I will do this for you. Yes. Love it. Who could have been better? Mm. Billy Wilder saw the screen test of a then newcomer, Walter Matthau. Oh, God. And thought he had his leading man. No, you're wrong. <laughs> Fox was not willing to take on the very new green actor, Walter Matthau. That's great. I love it. <laughs> so he decided on Yule. Also considered Gary Cooper. No. James Stewart. Maybe. Maybe. And William Holden. I don't hate that. William Holden is a very different vibe. He could do this type of story, but it's a very different vibe. You have to make it all about the, you'd have to have a much better script because he can't do the physical. Billy Wilder considered them all too much of movie stars and he wanted an everyman. I I like that. So he he wanted a fresh face. I like that, especially next to, this is one of the situations where like, if your leading man is a known quantity, you need to have an unknown lady. Yes. Like, but we've got our leading lady is the leadingest lady possible. She's the most famous woman in the world. Yeah, let's get whoever <laughs> off the street literally to play this guy. And let me be clear. Walter Matthau is a good enough actor to pull sure. something like this off. Sure. Especially when he's a much less known quantity at this point. Mm-hmm. He's not grumpy Walter Matthau in 1955. No, he's um, he aged into that personality. I really love that they went with Tom Yule. Mm-hmm. It was a really great choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Arpons. Random people of nope. We have Evelyn Keys playing Helen Sherman, his wife. She was in Gone with the Wind. She was Sue Ellen. Oh, okay. Uh, she did a bunch of other random stuff. She's a big deal. She's a big, big actress. Sonny Tufts, who played Tom McKenzie, he was in the show The Virginian, which is a big Western movie for anybody who knows. Okay. Robert Strauss playing Mr. Kerhulik. Yes, it's Animal from Stalag 17. Wow, okay. I mean, this is what he's good at. Sure. You bring him on the stage thing. Mm-hmm. Marguerite Chapman playing Miss Morris, the secretary. She was asked to audition for the older Rose in Titanic, but she became ill and Gloria Stewart got the role instead. Okay. Carolyn Jones playing Miss Finch, the nurse. She was Morticia Adams in the original Adams Family. Mm. Also, she is the Arpon who spoke to about Monroe earlier. That's mm-hmm. why I wanted to keep it a secret. And finally, Duke Fishman as a commuter at the station. He worked every summer as a lifeguard in Avalon, California, with a shaved head and a gold hoop earring in his left ear, and was rumored to be the inspiration for one Mr. Clean. Okay. <laughs> you see a bald guy in the commuter station with everybody. That's Duke Fishman. I had to dig, y'all. There weren't a lot of, like, super big arpons for this one. Yeah. All right, let's go to trivia. Trivia. Marilyn Monroe's iconic dress for this film set a record, auctioning for $4.6 million in June 2011. Mm. It quintupled the previous record for Audrey Hepburn's little black dress from Breakfast at Tiffany's, which sold for $923,000. Okay. It's the most famous dress in movie history. Yeah, it is. It, it just fucking is. I need, to, I need to go double check this, but one of our friends from college is actually a Marilyn Monroe impersonator, and I believe she actually got to wear the dress. Like, I know she went to the exhibit. I think she got to wear one of the dresses at some point. Hmm. I can't remember. The film is one of the few movies that actually features footage of the original Penn Station in New York City. 
Considered an architectural masterpiece, it can be seen when Richard is taking his wife and son to catch the train at the beginning. It's just the exterior. The inside was a set. Okay. City ambivalence led to the destruction of the architectural landmark and jump-started the National Historic Landmark Movement. But that's a story for another day. Hmm. Okay. The movie theater that is showing Creature from the Black Lagoon in the film was actually showing the movie Lily at the time. Oh, okay. The side of the theater visible to viewers had Creature from the Black Lagoon put on the marquee with a monster and maiden cardboard cut out on top. The front of the marquee had the whole Lily poster and all the decorations and stuff off range of the camera. Mm -hmm. A photo of the theater showing the conflicting marquees was tacked in the Fox photo department for decades. Wow. Okay. I mean, I would admire it too. That's great art set deco. Mm -hmm. Despite the iconic photo of Marilyn holding down the white dress, we never see that shot in the film. That didn't stop Fox from putting up a 52 foot high cutout of Monroe with the skirt flying up in front of the Low State Theater in Times Square. Mm. 52 feet tall. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Movies were such a different thing back then, too. The advertising was so different. I mean, again, this is back when a movie theater showed one movie Mm -hmm. and you went to that theater to see it. It was like Broadway. But who boy. Yeah. Around the time of filming, Bell Brand Snack Foods, a local SoCal snack manufacturer, sent cases of products to a number of different movie sets, hoping to get some kind of brand deal. Billy saw them and decided to use their potato chips in the movie with the champagne. Wow. And Bell brand snack foods became famous off the product placement. Okay. The brand lasted all the way into 1995, but uh, <laughs> that's one of those only in Hollywood shit. Like, Oh, yeah. A remake of this film was planned in the 1980s. Fox was rumored to want Melanie Griffith for the girl. Okay. Reactions? Anything? I mean, okay. Before I drop this next bombshell for you. Yeah, I need to know who the dude is. And as Richard Sherman, Al Pacino. Oh, God, no. (laughs) No. No, no, no. Known fantastic everyman, Al Pacino. Mm -mm. Even De Niro would have been a better choice. That's not a good one. De Niro would have at least been... uh varied nah just no oh no oh boy melanie griffith's fine as the girl i don't hate that no that's why i was like okay but like who's the dude because it's 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 got to be a balance between the two give me jeff daniels oh god yes something wild remake oh that would be great anyway uh, the show that Richard and his son talk about, Captain Video and his Video Rangers, was an actual television show that is now only available by pop culture references. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal in the 50s. It was like an early Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And then they referenced it constantly because it was just a show that all the kids watched and parents would be annoyed by. Yeah. However, the studio wiped all of the tapes around 1970 of the show and only eight complete episodes are known to exist. It is one of the most sought-after lost shows in sci-fi TV history. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Wow. And finally, according to one Finnish study, the principle that the movie posits, the seven-year itch, is an actual occurrence in marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Not so misogynist now, are they? No, it totally is. It's still totally oh, misogynist. It's totally misogynist. Like, I mean, let's, where's, where's the ladies? Ladies get that itch too. Come on. Exactly. I know. I know. And that leads us to ratings. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, it's champagne and potato chips. I mean, I was going to say it's um, an oar. <laughs> it's paddle. It's paddle. He's got to have his paddle. Okay. You know what? I love the champagne and potato chips, but the paddle's very good. Paddle's. Correct, David. Not him wrapping the newspaper up with the paddle the whole fucking time. God, mm-hmm. again, I cannot stress enough how funny this movie is. I, it's my movie. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go three and a half. It's really solidly done. The performances are really good. It's really still funny, other than a really racist part at the beginning. Like, skip the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just skip it. Not necessary. Yeah. 
But like the the whole premise and the jokes are honestly very funny. Yes, it's dated. Yes, it's sexist. But on the flip side, it's a pretty smart idea and lead in to something that's not that's a little more unexpected for a 50s movie. Mm -hmm. And it's a satire in so many ways of a lot of those ideas that men have. Mm -hmm. It just we're missing all of that vulnerability that comes from something like The Apartment, which would make this movie really, really great. Mm -hmm. And so we get bogged down in the middle with a lot of moments that are just more about pratfalls than they should be about the characters. Mm -hmm. While it's still a movie that I'm like, if you've never seen it, take a spin, but it's not one that I would hold up as the top work. And even Billy was frustrated by this film. (laughs) So three and a half for me. I mean, that's what I was feeling too. Yeah. That, yeah, it just, the, the script really knocks it down like a whole point. (laughs) Um, I, I still really enjoy it. I'm I'm glad we've seen it. I would love to see a remake. I'd love to see uh, a more um, like this. This feels like one of those like uh, he's just not that into you type movies where we see just a bunch of different people dealing with the same like impasse in a relationship, which would be really fun and interesting. It could be done very well. But yeah, it's just a three and a half. I don't know. That I'd watch it again. It's a, it's a movie that's struggling to find itself for most of the time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take another sharp right turn. Oh, we love we love those. We're going to go from slightly sexy rom-com to British courtroom drama. Ooh, I love a courtroom drama. We know how Diana feels about TV, movie, law school. With an Agatha Christie joint, witness for the prosecution. Ah, Cool, cool. Billy going British. All right. How are we going to feel about that one? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Should be interesting. I mean, we love a courtroom drama, and from what I can tell, the twist in this movie is legendary, mm-hmm. which it's Agatha Christie. The twists are usually pretty good, yeah. but I've, I've heard nothing about this film. I've never seen, other than maybe the name from time to time, mm-hmm. didn't even know this was a Billy Wilder film, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. This doesn't fit his normal oeuvre. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.